Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Father's Day. There's kind of a, a dual thing to think about today. Uh, on the one hand, to all the dads who have so deeply impacted us and shaped our lives, uh, we remember you, we will never forget you, uh, we're eternally grateful for you. There's a lot of uh, reflection on this day for many, but also to all the dads of you that are here today, uh, we want to say we understand that you probably have a tougher job than dads in many generations have had when you take all the pressures and all the things, the sum total of everything, you have an enormous responsibility cut out for yourself. And as a church, we want to say to you, we love you, and we stand behind you, we support you, we want you and your family to flourish and uh, in Christ Jesus, and so we have tremendous respect for the responsibility that you carry. Uh, I want to tell you and talk for just a moment about what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. And uh, with it being Father's Day, uh, I want to do a series that kind of spoke to men and spoke to fathers, but not exclusively, we understand that. But, uh, but we're going to talk over these next few weeks about Psalm 23. Uh, even if you're unchurched or maybe you're religious, there's probably a pretty good chance that you've heard Psalm 23 somewhere. Uh, Psalm 23 was a song or a piece of poetry, however you want to see it, written by King David. And the psalm begins with some very simple but profound words where David says, the Lord is my shepherd. So we're going to unpack this psalm over the next couple of weeks, uh, over the next month really, and look at some of the different themes in it. I've noticed that a lot today, that a lot of people are really fond, they love this idea of being a leader. There's something about, hey, be a leader that appeals maybe to our ego or our sense of individuality or any number of things. But uh, I noticed that the younger generation, they're not so crazy about the word leader. They have a different word that they like. A lot of younger people, they prefer to think of themselves as being influencers. So when you call yourself a leader, you know, that kind of implies that there might be some responsibility or maybe even blame assigned to you that, you know, like, but when you're an influencer, maybe there's less of an idea of like, hey, I'm responsible for what comes of what I do in other people's lives, you know, so maybe there's some uh, change of, of meaning there. But Psalm 23 is a very special passage. Uh, it talks about King David, and, and, you know, when King David was growing up, literally, he was a shepherd. And he was a very humble shepherd at that. He was just a young boy. But then suddenly, as a young boy, he was catapulted to national prominence. And the way it came about was once the Philistines and a certain giant named Goliath were threatening the armies of Israel. And young David, you know, he was so little, he was left out in the shepherds while his brothers and his family went and fought. And David came forward in the midst of that to offer his teenage experience and skills to the great King Saul. You know, it's always exciting when a teenager offers their vast life experiences to solve a national crisis or a problem. But that's kind of what happens as he comes forward. And we read about it in uh, 1 Kings, I'm sorry, in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17. King Saul is kind of bewildered. And he tells this boy David, he says, you know, you can't go and fight this Philistine. You're just a, a youth, you know, you're, you're just a little boy. And he's been a warrior ever since he was young. You don't stand a chance. 
in this situation. And of course, David, you know, he's undeterred and he answers the king. He says, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. This qualifies me for the situation. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it and I struck it down and I rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur and strike it down and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine, he'll be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the Lord God. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, grabbing a lion or a bear by the fur seems a little bit ill-advised. And uh, most men would prefer to be in the safety of their house or their perch with a long rifle to take care of that situation, not going down and grabbing something like that, a wild animal, by its fur. Even a wolf or anything, no thanks. But for King David, slaying giants was just another day at the office or in the pasture or in the wilderness, however you want to see it. But all of these kinds of things set the stage for God to anoint David as a shepherd over Israel, his people. In 2 Samuel 7, there's this moment where the Lord of the armies, through Nathan the prophet, anoints David. And, and God says to David, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and I took you to be the ruler, the leader over my people, Israel. So I'm just pointing out real quick at the front of the series that King David had all the credentials. He clearly had the charisma, especially as a young man. He had the character of a leader that any man would admire. Only later in life were there some character things that started to emerge that we'll get into later. But in Psalm 23, none of that is in view. What David is calling our attention to is not his charisma, his experience, his exploits, you know, his legendary exploits, to use some Top Gun language. No, what he's calling attention to is that the Lord is my shepherd, that the Lord is the ruler and governor of my life, the Lord is my king, the Lord is the one under whose influence I have put myself. And so I just want to say, you know, what should most define us, I think, isn't who's following us or how many people are following us. Or who's becoming intoxicated by our influence online or whatever it may be. What defines us is whose influence we're under. Whose leadership, whose governance we're under. And so Psalm 23 kind of flips the script a little bit here. It's not about what you're doing and who you're leading. It's about what God's doing and how God's leading you. And that's why this is a very important place for us to spend some time and land in this series that we're beginning today. Now, I want to run a little deeper with this idea of shepherd. It's a simple idea, uh, but it's not, you know, simplistic, okay? So in Psalm 23, we have, I think, the beginnings of a portrait, a sketch, if you will, of manhood. Nowadays, a lot of people are asking, like, what is a man? And people have always asked that kind of question. There's always been a lot of answers given and portraits painted, and, and Hollywood's probably tried to answer that question in a million ways. But what is a man or what is a woman? We ask these questions. 
And the beginning of the answer to that question is, is what most defines a person is who or what orders their life. And I think of my own dad. He wasn't a perfect man by any definition, but he was most definitely a godly man. And uh, dad was too humble or too broken, maybe too broken, I'm not sure which, but to ever see himself as a shepherd or a leader or an influencer. He wasn't comfortable being put into those kinds of labels. And yet the thing that stood out most about him was he had a deeply personal connection with God that was evident to anyone that knew him. And so like David, my dad could say, the Lord is my shepherd. And I observed many times where my dad was in prayer, in the word, in worship, and that wasn't just something he was saying It was something that was a relationship that manifested itself before our family and gave light to our family. And I would say that is the beginnings of what makes a man a man or a woman a woman or a a person fully human is their relationship with the Lord. I want to kind of be careful. I don't want to say this in in a harsh way, but I think in Psalm 23.1, I think you see kind of a distinction between someone who is godly versus merely someone who is religious. Uh, I know boatloads of religious people, and men in particular, uh, boatloads of, of, of guys, you ask them about their faith, and they might tell you that they're a good man, they might tell you they love their wife, they love their children, they might say, hey, I go to this church over here, Uh, maybe they tithe, maybe they serve. Uh, Fewer men than many go to a small group or attend a Bible study or things like that, but maybe somebody will mention that. They'll mention that they were baptized at some point in their life, stuff like that. Or sometimes they might get off onto some moralistic category or or topic, or they might mention uh, a political thing that they're concerned about. But a God-oriented man, is different than a religious man. A a godly man has a personal, identifiable, expressed relationship with God as Lord, as shepherd, as king, as ruler. That God has a tangible stamp, an imprint over that person's life that's identifiable and recognized. When I think of a godly man, I think of somebody that many of us knew, Uh, named Brad Stewart, and uh, many of you knew him personally, and tragically, Brad's life was cut short a few years ago, uh, actually a year and a half ago today, when a car, when he was struck by a drunk driver uh, coming home from work, and it was very tragic, but I was thinking about him as I was working on this message, because I rarely meet men who have such a voracious love for God as did Brad. As does Brad, I should say it in the present tense. There's no question when you looked at his professional life, people saw him as a leader, an influencer. He was driven, successful. Uh, as anybody that you would know or meet or would want to imitate, you check all those boxes. He was wildly successful as a high school athlete and then later as a college athlete. But what stood out most about Brad to me was whose influence he was under. He always had his scriptures open, and 
discerning, like what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. See, Brad's always got my back. You know, thanks, Brad. But he was always, uh, you know, had the scriptures open and discerning, like, what's it mean to love God? What's it mean to please him? What's his will in this situation or another? Uh, He actively sought the Lord in prayer and worship and would talk about his times of worship or prayer. Uh, And I'm just saying, you can really tell when Christ captivates a man's heart. At, At Brad's funeral, I learned all sorts of cool stuff about his life that he never, he could have boasted about a lot of things and talked about a lot of things. I didn't know about any of it. He was in my small group. We spent hours. We talked all the time. And there was a lot of stuff he never got around to talking about because our conversation was always, you know, the love for the Lord and and how the Lord was leading us and what God's will was in our lives and in our church and in the families. And the Lord is my shepherd. I think that's what distinguishes uh, a godly man from just a merely religious or moral man. I want you to ask yourself, how do you characterize yourself? Do you think of yourself as a religious person? Uh, Do you consider yourself a godly person? Are you religious or are you one of God's very own? Uh, Is there a, a tenderness to your relationship with the Lord. There's something about Psalm 23 where David says, the Lord is my shepherd. There's an intimacy to that. Is God your Lord? Is God your ruler? Uh, Is he your king? Is his imprint of his will on your life? Do you concern yourself daily with what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God? Do you seek it out in prayer and through his word? Do you take up the word of God to know God for yourself or do you just listen to sermons and rely on other people, you know, stand on the shoulders of other people that may know God, you know, try to know God through other people's experiences or are you personally experiencing the presence of God and walking with his spirit? Do you have much to pray about? Do you have much to praise God for in your life? Like how, how do you see yourself? So here's David. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. In Psalm 23, it's like a testimony of, of what that looks like. And he fleshes it out. It's not just a hollow claim. And so we're going to dig into that more and more here. Now, if God is my shepherd, if David's saying God is my shepherd, David is kind of making a statement about himself. If God's my shepherd, then that means I'm his sheep. That's a very humbling metaphor for someone, especially like King David, who's been a shepherd, to assume for himself, I'm like a sheep before God. Not many men would be comfortable confessing that or saying that about themselves. So David's self-understanding is that he understands something about his nature. He has a sheeply nature. Our human nature is sheeply in a way. Uh, I wonder if you've ever thought about this before. I uh, spent some time with an Iranian pastor a few weeks ago. And uh, when I was talking to him, I couldn't help but ask him, I was like, what's it like growing up in Iran? And he told me that his family was Christian. And so my next question was like, what's it like growing up as a Christian in Iran? And he kind of shrugged his shoulders at that second part because he said that his family was probably more religious than they were Christian. 
And so it wasn't really a problem being a Christian in Iran if you're not living out the Christian life. And so he said that was kind of what his childhood was like. But then he told me that he spent his young years as a boy being a shepherd. I was like, oh, interesting. And so he he said uh, it's the lowest status job that you could possibly do. So he was a very low status individual. And then, uh, you know, he was very excited. He was like, hey, Google this and Google that. And so he was showing me all these things on Google about what his life was like to be a shepherd and, and all these things. But there's a lot of insights that you can unpack about what it means to be like, a, like sheep. Sheep are central to many economies, not our economy, but other economies. They're raised as food, they're raised for milk, for meat, the, the warmth of their wool is very important. And they're like camels, they can survive on a minimal amount of grass and water, they're easily moved around. There's a lot of reasons why uh, sheep are, make a lot of practical sense for uh, shepherds and, and economies around the world. But the sheep themselves are relatively unintelligent. When left in open pasture, uh, which they're often left in open country because they don't, people don't, there's not a Menards, there's not a Home Depot, you can't go get all your fencing material at Rural King, you know, like, that's an American thing. In other places, they don't have access to all that fencing technology and, and all those materials. So the sheep are often out in open country, and they're very vulnerable. And out in open country, they're prone to wander around. They lack self-care. They'll drink foul water and develop sickness. They'll tread the pasture down, the food that they're supposed to be eating. They'll tread it down and create ruts and even get stuck in the ruts and, and starve and stuff like that. They lack direction. You know, the, the sheepfold could be in view, and a sheep doesn't know how to get from point A to point B to find their way back home when, they're, uh, when they've strayed off. They are completely dependent on competent shepherds for their protection, for grazing, for watering, for shelter. They're dependent on the shepherd to bind them up. You know, if they get scratched or injured or break a bone, it would be fatal for them. We're not, not for the intervention the healing intervention of the shepherd. Uh, interesting, this uh, Iranian guy said, you know, he would go to the coffee shop with two or three other shepherds, and they would go inside a small building, and they would drink coffee and have tea and do their thing. And the sheep from all their different flocks and pastures would be mingling out in the roadway in front of the shop where they were getting coffee. And they would all intermingle and mix up, and, and whose sheep are whose, nobody knows. But except that, when they would come out of the coffee shop and they would call their sheep, their sheep would know the voice of their shepherd. And this sea of sheep, they'd all kind of like follow their shepherd off. And they would like, just like they all came together, they'd all just kind of separate back out. And, and they knew exactly whose voice and whose influence and who their leader was. So I want you to think for a moment. What is David implying when he says, the Lord is my shepherd? Like, what kind of statement is that, that he's making about himself? Is David confessing that just like sheep are prone to wonder, is he confessing that maybe a man is prone to wonder, that his heart is prone to wonder, that his mind is prone to wonder? Is that what he is hinting at when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, that, hey, I need this relationship because my heart and my mind and and, and the places that I drift off to, apart from that leadership of God in my life, <clears throat> aren't healthy. They're toxic. What's he mean by that? 
Is he confessing that if he was left to himself, that maybe he would st- settle for foul water and not the, the living streams of water that come from the Lord, not the refreshing water, uh, the living water of God's Holy Spirit, but that he, maybe he would settle for something less than what God created him to be satisfied by? And Is that what he's confessing? Is he confessing that apart from God's leadership, he'd be lost, unable to find his way back home to the sheepfold? Is he confessing that apart from God's hand, he'd be in constant want, constant need, in a place of anxiety and worry and desperation and, or maybe danger or hunger or thirst? What is he implying by this idea, the Lord is my shepherd? Maybe he's implying all of those things. Maybe he's acknowledging that he has this sheeply human nature that would be very problematic were not God, his shepherd, leading him. So again, I'm going to say, maybe this is the distinction between the modern man, the religious man even, and the godly man. The modern man says, I don't need a ruler, I don't need a leader, I don't need a king or a lord. The modern man says, you know, religion, it's just an opiate. It's just a, a, something to kind of like bring comfort and peace. It's not anything really to take seriously in life. The modern man says, I'm my own man. I'm self-sufficient. I'm self-satisfied. He says, I'm not lost. I don't need to hear any word or voice from God. I'm at home in my wilderness. I have nothing to fear. I'll make my own way. I'll find my own way. That's quite a bit different than saying, the Lord is my shepherd. You know, here's King David. By all definition, a man's man. Uber competent, charismatic, successful. He'd be like the alpha male. If King David walked into the room, all the guys would be like, they'd be nodding to him. They're like, oh, you know, know, you'd have to puff up your chest a little bit and you know, when you're in his presence, you, you know, you'd feel kind of like you weren't measuring up, right? That's King David. Now, the only person that I know who's more manly than probably King David is Jesus Christ, our Lord. John 1.4 says of Jesus that in him was life, and that life was the light of men. When Jesus walked into a room, everything, everybody keyed into him. Everybody noticed and took note. You know, he's not just an alpha male, he's an alpha omega male. He's the beginning and the end. He's the total thing, right? John 1.14 says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. You know, uh, when, when a person's really secure and strong, they're gracious, they're kind, they're gentle. When they're really insecure and fearful, that's when they're loud and obnoxious and immature and unmoderated. And a lot of times we think the strong person is the one that's bullying everybody, like, The strong man is the gracious man. They're not afraid. They're at home in their element, in their personality, in a crowd. Like Jesus was full of grace, but he was also full of truth. So he didn't wince from standing in the truth, standing for what was right, standing in justice. And so like he was full of both of these qualities to a capacity and measure that nobody has ever been. Full of grace and truth. The New Testament says that the whole full glory of God was on display in Jesus' life. 
that Jesus was the radiance of God's glory in human form. He was the image of God, the exact representation of God's essence. You're not going to find a more fully human, fully perfect man than Jesus Christ. In John 10, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. He's a good ruler, a good king, a good lord, a good influencer. But something I want you to think about is that before Jesus ever introduced himself as good shepherd, he was introduced and identified first in the Gospels as a lamb. What did John the Baptist say when he introduced Jesus? Do you remember? He said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In taking on human nature, Jesus found himself dependent upon God the Father as his shepherd. In the same way that David had to learn dependence on God as shepherd, Jesus also learned obedience in the flesh as a lamb with God as his shepherd. Now Jesus was perfect and righteous and spotless and blameless and without sin and all that's true. Yet what does the Bible teach us about what Jesus had to learn and what Jesus had to do in human form, in human nature, as a sheep, as a lamb, with God as his shepherd? First Peter 2.23, Jesus had to entrust himself to the Father. Jesus himself, God in the flesh, had to entrust himself continually to the Father's care. He had to get up early for times in solitude of prayer before God. Jesus had to dig into the word and use the word to fend off danger and evil and temptation and say, Jesus had to follow all the same things that we have to follow with God as our shepherd. In scripture, God's an incredible shepherd, the father. He knows every lamb by name. Uh, He literally counts every lamb in his flock. There's a place for taking attendance. Uh, God takes attendance. He knows every lamb by name. He counts them throughout Scripture. And there's a whole list of things. I started doing this study. It's like, okay, what are all the things we learn about in Scripture about God being our shepherd? And I started this thing. I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to have to come back to this because it's like inexhaustible. But I'll give you a taste. He gathers his sheep when they're scattered. He provides for every need of his sheep. God satisfies We're going to talk about that next week, that a lot of times we don't believe God satisfies. So we turn to idols, which are God's substitutes, and we turn to our idols to find satisfaction. An idol can be money, it can be sex, it can be drugs, it can be work, it can be a lot of things. But but we don't believe God can satisfy, so we find other things to satisfy, and that's when men often self-destruct. So... A lot of people don't believe they can find satisfaction in God's will. So, But anyway, but God satisfies his sheep. God waters and feeds them. God seeks and saves that which is lost. God heals that broken lamb. God binds up, even carries the weakened lamb that is struggling. He nourishes, he strengthens, he guides with his voice and by his word. Uh, when the lambs are and, and sheep are bleeding and crying out for help, God hears and answers. He never abandons his sheep. But the thing that really jumped out to me, I, I started making this list. In John 10, Jesus tells us 
something even more remarkable. And that is that God himself is willing to lay down his life for a sheep. Of all the things that God does, he's willing to lay down his life for a sheep. That is how deep is the love and concern of God as shepherd. So we've been talking about Psalm 23. If you read Psalm 22, uh, you got to realize that a lot of times we, we see Psalm 23 and we extract it out and kind of treat it individually. But there's Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24. And if you look at all these psalms together, it's kind of a package deal. In Psalm 22, you have this picture of how God became man, how Jesus came to die as a lamb for his flock. Psalm 22 is considered a messianic psalm. And it shows you the extent of what God's willing to do, not just as our shepherd, but in becoming a lamb to take away our sin, to restore our relationship. It is a vivid picture. You can't read Psalm 22 without seeing the cross. And, uh, and so God came to save us, Psalm 22. And so then when you read Psalm 23, I know we often think of it as a psalm of David. But I want you to read Psalm 23 through a different lens. I want you to see Psalm 23 as a messianic psalm, as a psalm of Jesus himself, as a lamb under the leadership of God as his shepherd. In Psalm 23, one of the things that is there is how God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And I think of the Lord's table at the end of Jesus' life, he has a meal, a supper with his disciples. And just outside the walls, there's hostility. I mean, they're looking for Jesus. They're hunting him. They want to kill and crucify him and, 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 and lay him out, right? And in the presence of his enemy, God, even Judas is at the table. And Judas is going to betray Jesus and he's enemy. And, and God prepares this table in the presence of Jesus' enemies. And so Psalm 23 is what it looks like for us to daily and personally live out this relationship with God who is our shepherd. And, and so we'll get there. Psalm 24 is a picture of the future, of the moment when the great shepherd and overseers of our souls comes back to take us to be with him where he's at forever. And so the key to being a man, I think, or a woman, a leader, an influencer, is to be led by God by your Savior, by Christ Jesus, your Lord. Some things we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. What does it look like to find deep satisfaction within the will of God? A lot of times we feel like we have to step outside the will of God to find satisfaction. What's it look like to find satisfaction while staying within the fence, the boundaries, the, the will of God? Can you find satisfaction in a relationship with God. You know, what does it look like for God to renew your life and lead you in paths of true righteousness? What's it look like to walk with God through the valley of fear or danger or darkness? What's it look like to accept God's rod and staff, his discipline in your life? We'll jump over to Hebrews 10 for that one. What's it look like to face down God's enemies? To face down even death itself? to actually tangibly like live in hope even though the present circumstance might be quite despairing. We've got a lot to learn, not just from David, but from 
Jesus from this portrait that we're going to look like at. The most important thing of your life, you know, we call this series Lead Like Jesus. But that's just a teaser. Because what I'm really saying to you this morning is be led by Jesus. Be led like Jesus. Jesus said to the Father, the Lord is my shepherd. And in that, I think we find kind of the foundational stone, cornerstone for, for flourishing that we look for, right? It's with God, not apart from God. So join us for this series. Invite people to come uh, and, and join us on this journey over the next month. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for this very simple testimony. The Lord is my shepherd. Simple but not simplistic. Simple but very profound in its application for our lives today. Father, we help and pray that you would lead us like you led David. Lead us like you led Jesus. And may we have uh, the hope that Christ had as he lived within your will and within your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.